Jeffrey Souderson. We are so excited about getting back into our building. Uh, we will be doing that on Sunday, October 25th. So mark your calendars. Uh, what we will be doing is we'll still be doing one service and we're gonna be opening up these doors at 9.15. So the service will start at 9.30. We're gonna be opening up the doors at 9.15. So if you wanna show up early, we encourage you to do that, but you're gonna be having to stay outside and you can talk to people outside. But once 9.15 happens, you head on into the building. There's three places for you to enter in. Door two, which is where I'm at right now. Door five, which is on the other side of the building this way, facing the picnic grove, or door 11, the exact opposite side on the other side of the building by the gym parking lot over there. Well, it's 9.15, so I guess we gotta get inside. Let's go. Now, here's the deal. When you get inside the building, we don't want you to just kind of stop, hang out in here. We want you to keep it moving, keep moving through this area into the auditorium. There's one more thing we want you to know. We are expecting you, the entire time that you're in the building, to be wearing a mask. And you know, if you forgot a mask or if you didn't walk in and you left in the car or anything, that's okay. We have one for you. We literally have you covered. Okay, so you might be wondering, why a mask? Why do I have to wear a mask? Well, let me remind you of one of the things that we say here at Calvary Church. Every Sunday, we desire that you hear a relevant explanation of the gospel and you experience a lived out application of the gospel as we continue what Jesus started. Well, the gospel calls us to love like Jesus. And when we love like Jesus, we put others first. And so we believe that one of the ways that we can love others is by wearing our mask. So when you're in the building, let's get that mask on. All right, we're here in the auditorium. So when you get inside here, you need to find a seat. What you're gonna do is you're gonna find the rows that don't have pool noodles. We're gonna have rows that have pool noodles on them and those are the rows that you're not supposed to sit in. Once you sit down, we ask that every family unit, whether it's a family unit of one or a family unit of seven, sit three chairs apart from the next family unit. Here's another thing we want you to know. There's not gonna be anything else going on a Sunday except for what's happening in this room. So all kids, all of our bridge students, all of our high school and middle school students, all of adults, everyone, we're gonna be in this room together. At the end of the service, what we're gonna do is we're gonna have someone come up and dismiss you. We're gonna dismiss you by sections. And what we ask you to do is not to stay in the building, but exit the building quickly. If you wanna to talk to someone outside, that's totally fine. You can talk to people outside, but we ask that you not stay in the building. We can't wait to see you on October 25th. But here's the deal, it might rain before then. So if it rains and we have to cancel our outdoor services, what we're gonna do is we're gonna open up this room in a limited capacity for those who wanna come in on that day. If you wanna find out more information, make sure you're checking out the website, check out the app, check out our social media pages. But we are so excited about you returning. Can't wait to see you at Calvary Church indoors. How many of you are excited about going inside and plan to go in with us? Raise your hand so we know. All right, once we get to October, we're gonna take a survey that you'll be able to answer on your phone just so we can get a count of how many will be coming in. We know that some of you that come outdoors may not be comfortable coming in. We would like to get a semi-accurate count so that when we go in, we'll be able to accommodate in a safe fashion as many of you as we can. Please remember some of the regulations. We wanna keep everybody safe. We are expecting you to wear a mask. 9.15 doors will open so you can't come early and go into the building. We, we welcome you to come early, hang in the parking lot, talk to people there. After the service, you can greet and meet people outside, not inside. Other details will be forthcoming as the date gets closer. Uh, we're pretty excited about going back in, and we hope you are as well. Now, I know that this morning may be a little difficult to listen to a message because some of you have pancakes on your brain. Uh, we're gonna kind of wrap this thing up in a few, I'm not closing in prayer now, 
We'll wrap up in normal fashion, and then I'll give you some directions on what to do. But before we get to that, we're in a series that we're calling Be the Countercultural Church. And the reason for this series is we're comparing and contrasting the values and priorities of our culture with the values and priorities of the gospel. And we've discovered there are lots of differences. There are lots of contrasts. There are also some similarities. Now, I'm not sure you noticed, but for the last few weeks, we've been doing a little series within a series. So we're still in 1 Corinthians. We're still talking about be the countercultural church, but we've been talking about love. Since love is kind of the key ingredient in the Christian faith, it's the engine for most of what we do, we've taken a few weeks in which we're looking at that, and we're going to kind of conclude today. Now, up until today, we've talked a lot about how to love better. Well, this morning we're going to talk about love, but in a different fashion. Let me just remind you uh, kind of where we have been, though. We started by talking about what love is, and we said love is patient and love is kind, just like Paul says in 1 Corinthians. And we kind of translated that. Love is relaxed and love is beneficial. Love lives in the moment with people rather than dreaming of the next moment or having your mind be somewhere else. Love is beneficial, seeking to build up others rather than tear them down. We then said love is not envious. It's not seeking that others would lose what they've got if you may want it. And love is not irritable. Love doesn't live with this constant negative irritability. A couple of weeks ago, Jeremiah talked about how love connects. And sometimes that connection requires compromise where some of our interests and some of what we want gets put on the back burner so we can love someone else. And last week, Carlos talked about walk, stand, and then love. Love's the glue that holds our walking and standing and serving together. Well, as I said, this morning, we're going to talk about what love actually is. So I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 13. I'm actually going to start in the last verse of chapter 12, and then we'll transition to our topic. So here's what Paul writes. I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongue of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completion comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection is in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, 
but the greatest of these is love. Now, one of our goals is we're kind of rescuing that chapter from the sweet, sentimental attraction that those words have at weddings. It's not that those words are inappropriate, but those words have to get wrenched out of their context to be, to be read at most weddings. As I've said numerous times, Paul didn't write chapter 13 without being connected to 12 and 14. In chapter 12, Paul says, we, the church, are a gifted body. And in chapter 14, we are a worshiping body. So in between giftedness for service and worshiping is love that makes those two things possible. We cannot worship in unity and diversity without love, and we cannot serve in unity and diversity without love. In fact, uh, two questions come up from these three chapters. And in a sense, we ask you to ask yourself these two questions every week. This morning, I'm going to make them explicit. Here's the first question. Who did God create me to be? Who did God create you to be? You'll discover the answer in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Who did he create you to be? Who did he gift you to be? What's the architecture of your life and spirit? And secondly, what did God create me to do? Who did he create me to be? And what did he create me to do? You know, the sad reality is that many human beings navigate through life never asking those two most important questions. We've got the answers right before us in these chapters. Who did God create me to be? What did God create me to do? You know, don't come to the end of your life having not answered the questions accurately. Paul can help us do that in these chapters. Well, the first thing I want to tell you about love, not, not what we need to do to love, just tell you what love is. The first thing is love is supreme. Do you notice the first verse that I read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12? I will show you the most excellent way. At the end of the chapter, he says, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Love is supreme. Love is the pinnacle. Love is the essence. Let me explain it to you like this. When you go to Dairy Queen and you order your blizzard, uh, you order your um, cookie dough blizzard, not with chocolate ice cream, but with vanilla ice cream, your cookie dough blizzard. Well, when it comes and you kind of stir it up with that red spoon, right? And you take the first mouthful, just ice cream. Ah. Swirl it around a little bit, try again. Take your second scoop, just ice cream. What the heck? You wonder if they put enough stuff in there. The third mouthful, yes, cookie dough. If you order a cookie dough blizzard, the essence of the cookie dough blizzard is the cookie dough. When it comes to Christianity, the essence is love. The essence of God is not his holiness, even though he's holy. The essence of God isn't his omnipotence or his omniscience or his omnipresence or any of the other omnis. The essence of God's character is love. Love isn't something God does. Love is who God is. It's the essence. It's supreme. And Paul says as clearly as he can in these chapters, gifts are really great. Those ministry powers that God gives us to serve people, to build up the body, to edify people, they're wonderful gifts that the church couldn't survive without. But gifts are not the essence. The essence of the gospel is love. 
And if you don't know that, you're kind of missing the boat. You know, often uh, in church services, Sunday school classes, um, I'm not thinking of ours, but just generally, I often think the essence kind of gets lost. And here's how it gets lost. Most of the time is spent on how we're to love, rules we're to follow, regulations we're to keep. And there's a place for all that. But the essence of the gospel is how we are loved, how God has loved us, what God has done for us. It's secondary what we do. It's primary what God does. The essence of Christianity, the supremacy of the gospel is love. Paul reminds us of that. The second thing, love is permanent. Did you notice that? Now, these three were in faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And then he even mentioned some of the specific gifts. In fact, in chapter 13, he repeatedly goes back to chapter 12, and he lifts some of the gifts out of that chapter, and he's comparing them to love. So he says this, tongues, they'll cease. Prophecy will be done away with. Knowledge, uh, it's going to disappear. But love remains forever. Love is permanent. Isn't that good news? You never have to try something new. It never wears out, never gets old. You never move away from it. Uh, permanence is becoming uh, much more important to Kim and me. Uh, we moved last week. Don't get too excited. We're not moving far away. We moved from Hatfield to Telford. That, that, that's not too far. And I'll tell you one thing. I hate moving. In fact, I told the movers as they were leaving only one more move for me, and it'll be easy. It'll be one box about seven feet long, maybe four feet wide, and it's a one-direction move. Just dump me in a hole somewhere. Moving is terrible. You know why I was rejoicing in chapter 13 these past couple of weeks? Love's permanent. There's no moving on from love. It never wears out. It never gets old. You never have to move to a new destination. We don't move away from love. Love is eternal. It's permanent. I don't know about you. That's good news. Because everything in this life kind of wears out, right? Everything gets old. I know you may have lived where you live for a long while, but eventually you're going to move. And moving is terrible. Everything gets old. Everything gets worn out. We got to move on from everything, but not from love. Love is eternal. Love is permanent, lasts forever. Well, the third thing I want to mention to you is that love is transforming. Now, in this chapter, Paul talks a lot about how love changes things. It's not work, work up self-discipline, try real hard to love. It's almost as if reflect on God's love. That's the engine that brings about change. That's how we're motivated to transform. Look at God's love, bathe in God's love, and be transformed. You know the verse that I read that says, when I was a child, I thought as a child, I spoke as a child, but now I'm kind of older. Paul's saying, love changed him. Some of you may know the story of that change. In Acts chapter 7, you can read that before the eagles today, after pancakes, before eagles. Read, after, read chapter 7 of Acts. Stephen gives a sermon before the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And they're kind of tracking with him, right? Stephen's going through the history of God with his people, and they're kind of saying, yes, yes, yes. And all of a sudden, toward the end of the message, he's kind of bringing it in for a landing, he challenges them, rebukes them, and says, you all need to repent. You need to stop the way you're living. Throw yourself on God's mercy and grace. Believe Jesus as the, as the answer and solution to your problems. Make the change. 
Well, most of the people didn't like that message. In fact, they disliked it so much, they took Stephen outside the city, stoned him. That doesn't mean they gave him stuff to drink. They hit him with rocks until they killed him. That must have been some sermon, right? They killed a guy because of how he preached. And then there's this shadowy figure right toward the end of the chapter. We haven't really been introduced yet. Paul just kind of saw the shadowy figure is voicing his approval. He's saying, yes, this is the way it should be. And he sets out on the direction of gathering up these Christ followers, bringing them in for trial, imprisonment, and execution. Well, what in the world changed Saul, the persecutor, to Paul, the preacher? He met Jesus. Love transformed him. Love changed him. Not Paul trying to do stuff. Paul recognizing the love that God has for him that was demonstrated in Jesus. But not just Paul. You know, the apostle John, you know, the apostle lived longer than all the other guys. You know, before he was called the apostle of love, his name was Son of Thunder. He and his brother James, Sons of Thunder. And that was well-deserved. On one, on one occasion, there were some people kind of in opposition to Jesus. So they go to Jesus and say, Jesus, do you want to pray like hail and brimstone come from heaven and destroy all those people? Yeah, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. They enlist their mother to go to Jesus and ask that in his kingdom, could John have, and John and James have seats of honor in the kingdom? Sons of thunder, looking out for themselves, ridiculing, persecuting, destroying everybody else. But by the end of his life, he uses the word love more than any other writer in the New Testament. In fact, go to 1 John, just read through it and mark how many times love is used. John uses the word love like four times more than all the other writers of the New Testament, even though it's a fraction of how long the New Testament is. But the transformation that love brings isn't just individuals. It's also communities. 1 Corinthians 12 is about the church gifted as a body. The church, chapter 14, gifted for worship. But it's a community, not a group of individuals, a community. You ever notice that the crazy group of followers that Jesus gathers? Uh, let me just mention a few. Some of this will make sense in our context these days. Jesus calls Simon the Zealot, that's not his last name, that was his ideology. Simon believed that the Roman government should be overthrown, and I'm convinced he began to follow Jesus because he thought Jesus was going to overthrow the Romans, and he stood a better chance of being part of the victory if he followed Jesus. Simon the Zealot, called to be a disciple, overthrow Rome. Jesus also calls Matthew, the Roman government employee. He works for the Roman government as a tax collector. How do you think those two guys got along? You couldn't be more different. That would be like a Black Lives Matter Biden supporter and a MAGA hat wearing Trump supporter being in the same small, small group, sharing the same bedroom. Jesus calls them both to follow him. Now, if you think about it, you have a Venn diagram, kind of two circles that overlap. Matthew and Simon only had one thing that overlapped. 
All of their thoughts were completely different. Their political opinions were different. What the common good was different. What the fulfillment in life, completely different. They only had one thing in the overlap of those two circles. Jesus. And Jesus says, that's enough. When you have me in common, your brothers and sisters with each other, and your children of God. Now make that little overlap the center of your life, and let's show people how to love people that are very different than you are. Boy, how relevant can you be? You know, there are some other differences you may not have noticed. How about Peter and Judas? Now, Judas gets a bad name, but if you think about it, Judas Iscariot was the only disciple that you and I probably would have chosen. He was a money guy. He was a white collar guy. From the, he's the only disciple from the southern part of the country. Compare him with Peter, a blue collar fisherman from the northern part of the country. So you got a southerner and a northerner, a blue collar union guy and a white collar business guy, and they've got to hang out together. Jesus is calling people that are radically different, but they can be transformed in their love for each other when they have him in common. Love transforms, not just individuals, but communities. Love is the essence. Love is supreme. Love transforms. Love's permanent, and it better be the main thing. Well, I got one more thing to say, and that is that love's impossible. And some of you are probably sitting there, well, Charles, why'd you waste all this time then if it's impossible? Well, it's impossible if left to us. Let me show you what I mean. I Googled this past week, famous love song. Not because I particularly like love songs, because I thought, yeah, maybe we figured this love thing out. After all these centuries, maybe we've got it. Well, interestingly, I do this. Google famous love songs. You will immediately have hundreds and hundreds of entries. I'm not going to read them all. Let, Let me just read a few. We belong together. Love on top. Crazy for you. Your love keeps lifting me higher. Jackie Wilson. Can't help falling in love. Take my breath away. That's Top Gun. (laughs) I would die for you. That's Prince. Time after time, just like heaven, I will love you always and forever. Everything I do, I do for you. Crazy in love. Ain't no mountain high enough. You know that, right? The old Marvin Gaye. Now, let let me just read a few lyrics of that one. There ain't no mountain high enough. Not Kilimanjaro, not Mount Everest, no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley low, not the Grand Canyon, nothing. No river wide enough, not the Amazon, no river, to keep me from getting to you. That's a crock, right? I mean, you'd die on the mountain, drown in the river, and you'd probably fall into the Grand Canyon and die. Here's another one that has kind of the, the same sentiment. If I had to run, if I had to crawl, if I had to swim a hundred rivers just to climb a thousand walls, always know that I will find a way to get to where you are because there ain't no place that far. That's a lie. Can you swim a hundred rivers? Climb a thousand walls? Climb the highest mountain, ford the widest river, make your way through the deepest valley? No. But it's interesting. Something inside of us 
connects with the sentiment of those songs, right? Because we know we need to be loved like that, and we would like to love like that, but we can't love like that. I tell you what, if you're counting on me to climb a high mountain, ford a river, cross a million streams, you're going to die on the other side without saying, I'm not making it. In fact, I'm giving up after a while. But you know what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13? But there is someone. He didn't climb the highest mountain, but he descended from his lofty throne in heaven to live in this cesspool of a world that sin has created. And he took your sin and my sin on his own shoulders and he climbed onto a cross and he didn't risk his life, he gave his life so we could be reconnected to God. You see, you were built for that kind of love. And if you never find that love, you'll never be able to love anything like that. Differences will separate you. You'll you'll have that warm, fuzzy feeling inside when you hear some of those crazy love songs, and you'll know you want it, but you also know it's impossible for you to do it or for other people to do it for you. But when you remind yourself of the gospel, you realize Jesus did something a whole lot more amazing than climb the highest mountain or ford the widest river or make his way through the deepest valley. He came all the way to heaven, put on flesh like us, took all of our sin, died for our sin, rose again from the dead so that God could be with us forever and ever. Paul says, reminding yourself of those truths, that's how we love. That's how we're transformed. Not by trying to work up discipline and trying to get all the do's and don'ts down and obey the rules. No, recognizing God's love for us, being overwhelmed by that. Now you've got a reservoir that will allow you to love other people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this seemingly innocuous excursus in 1 Corinthians 13 that seems to be out of place on the surface, but actually isn't when we think about it. Lord, we live in a world of division and separation, of debate and quarreling, disagreement and hatred. Lord, love's the answer, but love's impossible with us. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to be agents of love, not by trying harder and harder, but by reflecting on Jesus and the gospel, the mission of love. And as that message allows us to experience your love, may we then extend that love to people that are different, people that are sinful, just the way you extended that love to people like us. We pray in your awesome name.